0: Well, welcome from online. It's great to have you again joining in with us for our live stream. I'm actually really excited about today because today we are wrapping up the series that we've been in since the very beginning of January. If you just joining us, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark and following Jesus and the disciples through that journey. And so today we're going to close out. We're going to end that series and we're going to look at the resurrection story It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's the most important thing that we believe as disciples of Jesus. And so I'll set it up for you this way. If I were to say to you, tomorrow, I'm gonna get hit by a truck. But but if I said, it's not just gonna be a truck, it's gonna be a 2004 Chevy Suburban, a red one. But don't worry, three days later, I'm gonna come back to life. If I were to say that to you, It would be such a crazy thing to say, such an abnormal thing to actually say, you would remember it, wouldn't you? It it would stick with you if I said something like that. And then tomorrow, if I went out and I actually got hit by a red 2004 Chevy Suburban and died, you would be like, oh my gosh, he he said that. And three days later, you'd probably be sitting around kind of nervous like I... Man, the the, the one thing he said came true. I wonder if he's actually going to come back to life here three days later. What's so interesting to me about the resurrection story that we see in all four gospel accounts of Jesus' life is that the disciples are completely surprised by the resurrection. None of them see it coming, even though Jesus again and again and again throughout the gospels, over the last few weeks, you've heard it. Jesus keeps saying to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to get arrested and betrayed, and I'm going to be crucified on a cross, and three days later, I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to come back to life. And yet, the disciples aren't expecting it. It's a complete surprise to them. This is the way Mark's gospel accounts for the resurrection. So if you want to join me with your Bible app or follow along on the screen, Uh, This is Mark chapter 16. The resurrection account begins this way. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Now, I want to draw your attention to one detail. It says that the women were coming with burial spices to the tomb on Sunday morning. Why were they bringing burial spices? Because they were expecting to encounter Jesus' dead body. They weren't expecting to see a resurrection. They didn't show up that morning because they thought that Jesus was was risen from the grave. And yet Jesus again and again predicted it. He said three days later, I will rise from the grave. But they're there with burial spices to anoint his dead body. Why is no one expecting a resurrection? The, The story continues, verse five. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And it's there at the end of verse 8 that we just read that the oldest manuscripts of Mark's gospel end. That's the way the story ends. Just with, with that verse. If there's one word that I would use to describe how Mark's gospel ends, it would be the word unresolved. It ends on this cliffhanger. The story isn't really resolved. In fact, maybe that's why later after Mark had written his gospel, somebody else came and and completed the verses that you probably see there in your Bible. But the oldest uh, manuscripts actually end right there at that point on this cliffhanger, on this unresolved note. And what's uh, even more amazing than that is... on the last night of Jesus' life, in Mark's gospel, if you go back just a couple chapters to Mark 14, verse 28, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his death and his resurrection. In in verse 28, he says, But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, and I will meet you there. But what's amazing is at this moment, at Jesus' resurrection, the disciples, you would think they would be in Galilee, right? Like Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead. I will go ahead of you and meet you in Galilee. You would think the disciples would be hanging out in Galilee like, all right, it's it's been three days, like waiting for a resolve to this whole thing that had happened where Jesus had been crucified. The, The resolve to the story, the resurrection, you'd think they would be there in Galilee waiting for Jesus to appear, but they're not. In fact, the reason the angel says to the women, go tell the disciples, that Jesus has been risen from the grave and he's going to meet you in Galilee is because they're still there in Jerusalem, hanging out. They're not even looking for the resolve. They're just there in Jerusalem, kind of like, well, what do we do? What's next? Where do we go from here? Why isn't anyone expecting a resurrection? I think the answer to that question is actually something that you find only in Mark's gospel. It's when the angels are speaking to the women, uh, the, the angel says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. That's what the angel says to the women. Go and tell the disciples, oh, including Peter. Why does he say that? Well, the last time that we saw Peter in Mark's gospel was on the night that Jesus had been arrested. And Jesus has been taken to the high priest's uh, house. And so Peter is followed at a distance. And now Peter is standing outside in the courtyard of the high priest's home. And uh, he's standing there warming himself by a fire. And a young girl comes up and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Or weren't you one of his disciples? And three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus at all. Three times he says, I don't even know who Jesus is he fails. He fails Jesus. He, he denies him. At the moment when Jesus was at his most vulnerable, at the moment when Jesus most desperately needed support, needed his followers to come through for him, Peter failed. He let Jesus down. And so what's happening here, the, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. It's not because God doesn't consider Peter a disciple any longer. It's because Peter doesn't consider himself a disciple any longer. See, see, Peter has the same dilemma that so many of us have. Peter had failed, and so now he was living in this place of unresolved. He didn't know where he stood anymore. Well, I I used to be a disciple, but now I messed up. I failed, so where does that leave me? He's living in this place of unresolved. Maybe you've failed, too, when the divorce happened, when you thought you could beat the addiction, but you couldn't, when you gave yourself to that person because you thought they were the one, when you walked away from God and from the church, and so you failed, and so now where does that leave us when we fail? It leaves us in this place of unresolved, this place where we wonder you know, where do we stand now? All you really did when you failed is you just joined Peter and the ranks of every single other person in the Bible. That's really all you did when you failed. Even the greatest heroes of the Old Testament were men and women who failed. They let God down. Not a single human being lived up to, you know, uh, God's standards. Not a single person until the person of Jesus. So Jesus, in the Gospels, Jesus comes as God in the flesh, and he lives a perfect, sinless life on our behalf. He lives the life that we should have lived, and then he dies the death that we deserved. But maybe the reason you feel unresolved, maybe it's not because of your own failure. Maybe it's because of someone else's failure. Maybe someone else failed you. Maybe the system failed you and let you down. Uh, Maybe an elected official that you put your faith and your hope in has let you down. Uh, Teachers, coaches, politicians, I would say even pastors, eventually all let us down. Uh, Even me, I'm, I'm a pastor. I want to do the best I possibly can, but if, you're, if you've been at Frontline for a while and I haven't had the chance to personally meet you and let you down, don't worry. I promise I will eventually get around to you. I know I can say that because I'm a human. If we put our faith and our trust in people, they will eventually let us down. And, and so where does that leave us? It leaves us in this place of unresolved. But let me illustrate for you what unresolved feels like. If you're a musical person, you probably know or understand the musical, the major scale. And so uh, in the major scale, there are eight notes. So the first and the eighth are the same note, just an octave apart. Now the seventh note is called the leading tone. I'll show you why the seventh is called the leading tone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's the leading tone. Do you feel that inside? It's called the leading tone because when you hear it in the scale, your brain wants to hear. Your brain wants to to have that resolve of that final note. Even when you just uh, do an ascending and descending scale. us wants to hear that note that final resolve we long for resolve we long for situations in our life to resolve and when we don't have resolve in our lives in our relationships in the world around us when we don't have resolve we struggle we we wrestle with those kind of situations. It's not just with music that we have that sense of resolve. It's in every area of life. We are built to desire and to want there to be a resolve. Sometimes God allows us to sit and resolve. Sometimes God will allow us to go through life and come to a place where we just sit in the resolve when that happens, we struggle. I would argue that right now our entire world is in a place of unresolved. Our society, in the midst of this pandemic that we're going through right now, I mean, things are starting to reopen. We're having conversations about reopening uh, and everything, but the situation isn't resolved. There's no sense of resolve as of right now. 100,000 people have died. And we don't really have a resolve to this situation of this virus. Some of the racial injustice and the protesting that we're seeing that's gone on over this last week is a reminder to us that even though we're over a century since slavery happened in our country, that situation is not resolved. Racial tension, racial injustice is not resolved in our world. And so we have these reminders, we have these things that happen that remind us that we are still living in the midst of a time and in the midst of a society where things are just not the way we want them to be. They're just unresolved. As I think about my own life, where do I have a sense of unresolved personally? Uh, One of the, the places that I deal with is that I will never hear a doctor say to me, Brian, you are cancer free because of the nature of the diagnosis that I have, I I will never be declared cancer-free. I've had friends who have had cancer, and they've gone through treatment, and they get to the end of it, and they get to ring that bell. They get to celebrate and have a party and have people. I've gone to those parties for those friends, and they get to celebrate your treatment is over. You are cancer-free. That chapter of your life is closed. You can move on from it, go on to the rest of your life, But in my reality, what happens is every six months, I go back and they do full body CT scans and they take blood and other tests are run to determine whether or not I'm still in remission. And I'm thankful. Praise God, I'm still in remission as far as I know at this point in time. But every six months, I have this reminder, it pops up on my calendar, that this situation is not over yet. That the whole situation I live in is not resolved yet. I still live in a place of unresolved. So I want to talk to you about what the resurrection does for us when we live in a place of unresolved. What did Jesus really accomplish by his resurrection? How does that speak into our world where everywhere we look around us, things are in a sense of unresolved? What Jesus did in the resurrection is he transferred his life his eternal life to us. So Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus is the first fruits of those who are gonna be raised from the dead. In other words, his resurrection was the first. It was the beginning of all of us who will put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus. We will will experience that resurrected life as well. That his life was transferred to us at, uh, at the moment of his resurrection when we put our faith and our trust in him. Let me illustrate that for a minute. If I am down to my last $50 in my bank account, and then I end up losing $10 somehow, that's a crisis, right? If that's an unresolved situation in my life that causes me a, a lot of anxiety. If, I, if I've only got $50 in my account, and suddenly somehow, I don't even know how, I, lo- I end up losing $10, I'm in trouble. That is an unresolved situation that I want resolved for. So I'm going to freak out. I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to just look and look, turn the city upside down until I find that $10, right? But if someone transferred billions of dollars into my bank account, and then I ended up losing $10, I mean, it would be an unresolved situation. I wouldn't be happy about it. I I wouldn't love it that I lost $10 and I didn't know where it went. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't cause this huge reaction for me. I I probably at some point would kind of just shrug and move on. In other words, the, the resolve of that situation wouldn't be in finding that $10 and getting that $10 back. The resolve of that situation would be in the fact that I know I have billions of dollars in my account. And that's actually what allows me to move on. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because... This past week, somebody criticized you. Somebody let you down. This past week, you failed. You let someone down. You didn't come through in some way. And so how do you respond? How how do you react when that happens? Well, when we have our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus, what happens is we realize that any kind of thing that's happened in our lives, Jesus has transferred the billions of dollars of his life into our account, into our life. And so when we lose $10, when something happens, when we fail, when someone else fails us, it's not like we just shrug and move on. Those things still hurt us. Those things are still unresolved situations in our lives that that, that definitely affect us and pull at us, but ultimately we know that's not all there is. And we recognize we have this life that's been transferred it's transferred to us by the person of Jesus. We have this abundance in his life that, that meets us in the place of our scarcity. And so we realize we don't get resolved by trying to get our $10 back in every single way we can and live, and you know, by our performance being perfect or making sure our world around us is perfect and controlling everything in our environment. The resolve comes from living out of this place of trust and faith in the life that's been transferred to us, the billions of dollars of life that's been transferred to us, if that makes sense. Go tell the disciples, including blank. Your name goes in that blank. Go tell the disciples, including you, your name. Just because you failed, your failure does not mean that God's love for you failed. Other people's failure, even other people in the church who might have hurt you or, or have failed, that doesn't mean that God's love for you has failed. You know, situations that have been unfair that have happened to you in our world, situations that are currently happening that are unfair, does not mean that God's plans for you and his future that he has planned for you has failed. That's the life that we have in Jesus. That's what happens when we put our faith and our trust in him. I love what Edwin Lewis Cole said. He was a a founder of a men's ministry and a writer. He said, you don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. (laughs) You don't drown by falling in the water. Lots of people fall in the water. You drown by staying there. And I think that's the truth for so many of us in in our lives. It's not our situation that does us in. It's the fact that we believe in our minds that we are just destined to stay in the situation we're in, to stay in this place of unresolved, to stay in this place where we don't have really any kind of hope for the future. That's not what God called you to. That's not what he called you for. We're called to get up. We're called to put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus to allow him to transfer his billions of dollars of life into our account, into our lives, and then to live out of that. That's what Jesus did for those women who came to the tomb in Mark's gospel. And what I love the most about this resurrection story in Mark's gospel is it ends with the women being told by the angel to go and tell the good news, not only is it, is it it's the gospel message, the good news, that they have this life that's been transferred to them, but then they are told to go and tell that good news, to go live that out. And a couple of weeks from now, uh, you're going to see it, and we're going to celebrate something called Juneteenth. And I'm going to admit, as a white person, I actually didn't know what Juneteenth was until just a few years ago. I started noticing some of my African-American friends were, you know, posting about it on Facebook or, or talking about it and mention it. And so I began to ask questions and I began to research it because I didn't know, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. If you don't know what, it, what the celebration is about, it's basically this idea that in 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation from uh, Abraham Lincoln went into effect. So January 1st, 1863, the slaves in our country were freed. Slavery was ended. But it wasn't until June nineteenth, 1865, that the slaves in Texas finally heard the good news of the Emancipation Proclamation that they had been set free. They were the last group of slaves in the Confederacy to be told. So for over two years, you've got this group of slaves who have been set free. The Emancipation Proclamation has set them free, and yet— For over two years, they haven't heard the good news, and so they're still living as slaves. Their reality every single day is still the the reality, the life of a slave. Our African-American brothers and sisters know what it's like to live in unresolved. They understand that. that. That's a reality that we're still encountering. We're still understanding in our world. Jesus invites us to go to places of unresolved in our world with the good news of the gospel, that we have a life in Jesus, that every single one of us, like we talked about last week, is worth dying for. And so we're called not only to step into that life that Jesus offers us, but then to be carriers of the good news, to go forward with the gospel message into our world. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. He describes this, this idea that, we're called to go forward with the gospel message, to go into places of unresolved in our world and tell the good news. Verse 13, he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring gospel, who bring good news. Here's the point. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to resolve your life fully in his life. And then he wants to send you out to places of unresolve in our world where people don't know the good news and, and to be an agent, a carrier of the light of the gospel to the world we live in. And so the question I want to ask you as we wrap this up, you, know, you look at the end of the, go- the gospel of Mark, it ends on a cliffhanger. It ends on this unresolved note. And I think that's intentional. I think the reason it ends on this unresolved note is because we are supposed to continue the story. The gospel of Mark ends on an unresolved note because our world is still unresolved. And we feel that right now, don't we? Your story is unresolved. We're still living in the midst of this unresolved. And so the gospel of Mark ends because we are supposed to continue the story. We're supposed to keep it going because Jesus' resurrection is the resolve that our world needs. And we find our resurrection, we find our fullness when we put ourselves fully in his care. And so the question I want to ask you as we wrap up today is simply the question, how will the story continue for you? As we end this journey we've been on through Mark's gospel, how will you continue the story? How will the story continue through you and your life? How does God want to use you in the way he's uniquely placed you in this world and called you in this world to be an agent of the kingdom of God, to be a carrier of the gospel message. Maybe it'll be in your workplace through the way that that he's positioned you with others and to use the talents and gifts he's given you for kingdom impact. Uh, Maybe it'll be in your neighborhood as we start home church and home groups Maybe it'll be an opportunity for you to invite neighbors into that and just begin to even use your own home as a way to be a carrier of the gospel. Maybe it'll be through places and positions of influence that God has allowed you to have in your school system or, you know, in in places of business in the world around us, in the marketplace. But whatever it is, that's your purpose in life. That's the greater calling. That's the thing that he's uniquely wired you for. And when we step into that, not only do we get this life that's been transferred to us in Jesus, but we get to find purpose and meaning when we tell others about it. How does God want to continue the story of Jesus, the story of the resurrection, through you in your life? I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to sing before we wrap up here this morning. So God, we just join you in the midst of this time, in the midst of this story. We thank you not only for the gospel account in its entirety, God, but we thank you for the resurrection story. And God, we we thank you for the fact that even that it ends on a cliffhanger, it ends with, on this unresolved note. And we look at our world around us that is so unresolved in so many ways. And we say, God, here we are. Would you send us? Would you allow us? to be agents of the kingdom of God. Would you show us how you want us to uniquely step into places of unresolve in our world to bring the gospel message? We just ask you to show us this over this next week, over the next month, uh, and over the next years of our lives that you would just allow us to dedicate ourselves fully to that end, to follow after you and to find our place, to find our purpose in your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.